This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Good morning, everybody. How are we? Okay. Okay. That'll do. That'll do. This, this side of the room was definitely stronger than this side. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know we're creatures of habit, so my guess is when you come back, you'll probably sit in roughly the same area. Um, and so this side of the room next week, maybe let's, let's just pick it up just, just a bit. Just a bit. Um, so I like the front row people here. It is close. Um, but, but this way we can always just reach out and touch each other. Um, and that's encouraging. That's encouraging. So um, the second row is empty, um, oddly enough, right? We got the first row going, but the second row is like, eh, you know, it's whatever. It's whatever. So uh, my name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors. A lot of new faces here. Um, let me go ahead and say this first. I know we've got probably some parents visiting, some out-of-towners. Um, here's the deal. We are actively praying that God will bring older men and women to this church and families um, and so if you're here, I'm praying that God will say, hey, why don't you just stay here and move to Austin and be a part of this church? Um, so hear that word from me. And if, if, if the Holy, if, if like after service you go to lunch and you're still thinking about it, just, let me just go ahead and say, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, let's go. Like, let's just get here and move here. Um, we, need, we need some people who are ahead of us that can say, hey, that's dumb. Don't do that. Um, or quit whining. You're going to be okay. Um, like, we need some of that. We need some wisdom and some maturity. Um, and we just need some more, some more kids and families, too. So uh, we've been praying for that. Uh, just know that, that maybe we've been praying for you. Who knows? Um, anyways, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and, and 7 today. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover. Um, and so Mike and I planned this where last week he would preach a shorter sermon. So I got bonus minutes for this week um, so that, that I can run over. And then together combined... We're on time. Um, I'm just kidding. But, but it may go long. So just hang with me. We're going to do this together. Um, talking about Stephen today. So the other day, Steph and I, really, uh, Steph, because I, I wouldn't watch this, um, except I did because it was kind of cool, was watching the Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. Um, T-Swizzy, yep. Um, and so I was stunned by something about Taylor. Like, what is her deal with cats? Like, no sane person likes cats, Right? Right? Am I, are you with me? Except we have one, but I don't care about it. Like, if anybody's looking for a cat, um, we have one that you can have. Um, except I will be kicked out of the family at that point. And so uh, we'll talk. Anyways, no, what I was stunned by is early on in the documentary, she's on the phone with her, her manager, her agent. Um, and and she's kind of running through the, uh, the award nomi- nominations that have been given out. And she's like, hey, like... Most of the big awards, the nominations have been, have been released, and, and you weren't in any of them. Um, but not all of them are released, you know. And, and, and Taylor, she's just kind of like, she's like, I just got, I got to make a better record. I got to make a better record. And her agent's like, no, 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 you know, like, it, there's more coming. She's like, no, I just, I have to make a better record. Um, and multiple times in this documentary, she talked about how she would get to the next level, how she would sell out arenas, and yet she was like, there's got to be more. Like, I've just got to keep grinding and keep hustling and keep going. I mean, she's reached the pinnacle of what most everybody thinks is the pinnacle. And she's like, there's, it's empty. Like, there's no, it's not filling. There has to be more. And the, the reason why she says that is the same reason that every single one of us have the same heartbeat in us. And that's that we all want to make the most out of life. Like, we all want to succeed and achieve and arrive and get to the top and go, 
nailed it. Like, that was worth it. Nobody wants to live life, nobody wants to live like a day and just kind of look back and go, oh, yeah, I kind of I really wasted that. Like that, like a do-over. Um, n- no one does it. That's not how we are wired. And it's because we all want to make the most out of life. The problem with Taylor, the problem with so many of us, is that we look for that satisfaction in the wrong things. We look for that satisfaction in, in something or someone that will never be able to carry the weight of our hearts. Ever. Ever. And, and so Psalm 1611, David's writing, and it says, you, talking of God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness, the completion, the, the, the maximum capacity of joy. At your right hand, God, are pleasures forevermore. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus himself says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That is one way for us to do life. Jesus said, but I have come that you would have life and have it abundantly, superfluously full. There's two ways for us to live. We're all trying to reach the most out of life, and so many of us are chasing things that are only going to lead into steal, kill, and destroy. Come on, how many of you could look through your life and look at so much of it and say, yeah, it falls under that category. Like, it's just lacking. It's just being robbed. I'm just missing something. And yet Jesus is inviting us to abundant life in his presence, with him, in a relationship with him. We all want to make the most out of life. Taylor Swift, us, we all do. And the Bible teaches that the answer for what we're looking for is found in knowing, trusting, and following Jesus in obedience and giving our lives to him. That that is the answer. I truly believe that's what we're looking for. In Acts 6, we see a, a man that lived that out. His name is Stephen. He lived life in Jesus. This is a turning point in the life of Christianity. Our existence as a church can point back to this moment in the book of Acts and say this was a turning point. It was a huge change in the church, a huge shift, a huge moment in the life of Stephen and in, consequently, our lives. This is a man that lived life in Jesus. The, the heart of his, the, the beat of his heart was less of him, or more of him, less of me. He truly lived that out, more of him, less of me. And that is what our hearts desire. Whether you know it or not, our hearts truly, that's what we're created for. More of him, less of me. Stephen did that. And so I just want to look at his life and see what, it, what, like, what was happening in his life. How did he do that? Why? And, and just kind of walk through chapter 6 and, and 7 together. So we'll start in chapter 6, and we're not going to read every verse. That's a lot of verses, um, but, but we'll read a bit, and, and we'll talk about it, okay? So starting in chapter 6, we'll read verses 1 through 7. It says, now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. They're up to like, like 5,000 plus. Short amount of time, the Holy Spirit is just moving in that place. It's over 5,000. The church has blown up. That's a challenge. Like, how do you handle that growth, right? Like, what do you do? So it's increasing in number, and a complaint by the Hellenists, um, so that's a group of Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
So let's remember some of the characteristics of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Leave Leave those verses up there for me, Erica. So here's what happens. When we trust Christ, we get adopted into the family of God. We become one family. So if you're a Christian today, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then we are brothers and sisters and God is our father and we are one family. And family takes care of each other. Right? Like family, family takes care of each other. My, my sister has a need, then, then I'm going to do whatever I can to help her out. If I have a need, my sister is going to do whatever she can do to help me out. Because fa- that's what you do. You're family. And so this church, they're brothers and sisters, and they're like, we got to take care of each other. And so what they know in humility is some of them are like, man, God has blessed us. Like we got land, we got houses, we got money. Let's sell off some of our stuff because other people don't have these material goods and they need things. So they are literally putting their homes up for sale, not so that they can you know, add to their 401k or they can like grow. They're putting their homes up for sale so they can take that money and give it to the church and the church will take care of the needs of those in their community. Y'all, that is otherworldly. Like, it's borderline socialistic communists, right? Everybody has everything in need. But here's the difference. This is voluntary. There's no governmental force saying, hey, I will put you in jail if you don't do this. This is out of their own heart because Jesus gave them so much. They're like, dude, this isn't mine. Let me give it to my brother in need. Let me give it to my sister in need. And here's the other thing, and this is sometimes the harder part, right? Those who were in need actually received Y'all, come on, that is tough. I, I am way too prideful, and so it's really hard for me to go, hey, I, I need some help. I, I need some help. Our ceiling for healing and thriving in life is really low if we're never honest. If we can't open up our mouths and our hearts and be honest with one another and say, I'm struggling here, I need some help, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a hole over here, I need some, if we're always going to keep things in, our ceiling for healing and thriving is really low because that's exactly where the devil wants, hey, shh, yeah, no, 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 man, don't, don't talk about that. Do you know how they're going to look at you? Do you know what they're going to think about you? They're probably going to think honestly, oh, yeah, me too. But the devil convinces us, no, I'm all alone in this. Like, no one else is here with me, but, but that's just a lie of the devil. We've got to be honest. There is a lot, of, there is a 100% guarantee there's some hurt in this room, and there's some struggles, and every one of us has some issues that, that man, we just, we're just prone towards. And if we try to walk that alone, we're going to get our tails kicked. Because the devil has influence in isolation we got to open our mouths and bring people into our lives. Period. End of story. Game over. A discipleship group, whatever you want to call that, we call them discipleship groups, two to four, where people know you, like really know you, the ugly parts and everything, and then they still choose to stay with you. It's essential. Essential. So these people, man, they are in real community. They're sharing their things. They're loving each other. There's 
5,000 plus people, and some of them are poor. And so the rich, the rich are like, here, take the money. Let me sell this. Let me give it to you. But now they got a problem because there's only 12 leaders in this 5,000 plus person church, and they're trying to handle all the preaching and prayers and worship services and taking care of needs. And so some of the needs are getting dropped. Some of the widows in, in this Hellenist community, they're not getting their needs met. And so they're like, hey, you know, this is what we're about and it's not happening. And so they're like, okay, that's a problem. Verse 12, 2 then, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, this is not right for us to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Basically, the, the 12 apostles are like, hey, this is our role. We're supposed to primarily preach and give vision and lead the church. We can't, like, we literally don't have the capacity to handle this need of serving the, the widows and the poor and making sure their needs are getting taken care of. It's not a lack of love. It's purely a capacity issue. They just don't have the time. And so verse 3, they say, Therefore, let's pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorius and Nicanor and Timon and Pharmanus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Hey, here's, here's a pro tip. When you come across a word you're not sure how to pronounce, neither does anyone else. Just say it confidently and they're going to be like, oh, that's how you say it. Cool. So just say it confidently, move on because no one else knows how to say it either. Okay? So they're like, we don't have the capacity to meet the needs of our church, let's raise up some other leaders who can carry the load of serving the poor, making sure their needs are met, who can take all of this money and make sure that they're not pocketing it, but they're distributing it to those who are in need. Let's get seven people of great reputation, full of the Spirit, and let's put them in charge of this. And they're like, great idea. Stephen is one of those seven. He's one of the seven. And so what we initially see of Stephen, a man who lives his life in Jesus, is that his character is very high. They all know him. They all, when they said, who, who's someone of good reputation? Stephen. Like they just know because his integrity is high, his character is high. He's a man of truth. He's a man of character. And so they're like, we need someone who's not going to steal money, who's not going to be selfish, who's going to take care of the poor, who is a person of high character, full of spirit. Stephen, he's one of those guys. Bring him up here. And so we see that someone living life in Jesus is a person of high character, representing Christ well in his or her Life. Stephen was one of those ones. Here's the deal. We are never going to live life in Jesus. We're never going to reflect him well if deep down we're actually living for ourselves. We are never going to live for Jesus if deep down we're actually living for ourselves. If we're going to live life in Christ, our character has to be high. Our integrity has to be high, above reproach, good reputation, that gentleness and love and hospitality and patience and truth and integrity, those things just ooze out of us because they are who we are. Stephen was a man of high character. So that's why he could live life in Jesus, because life wasn't about him. He demonstrated great humility. As we'll see in the next 
you know, sermon that he preaches, Stephen was obviously able to preach. He, he could have fulfilled the role of preaching the word, of praying, of standing up front, of being the face of it, but he willingly took a role in which he was behind the scenes, caring for the poor, making sure that people were fed and clothed and had a, a home to sleep in. He wasn't, re- he wasn't out in the front. He was a man that could have been. He had the abilities, but he willingly took a role in the back. He was okay with the spotlight not being on him. I'm telling you, if we're going to live for Christ, it cannot be about us. It cannot be about our reputation and our name and our comfort and our glory. It has to be about his. And until our heart's desire is truly that the spotlight is on Jesus, more of him, less of me, we will never live life for Jesus and we will always miss out on the fullness that he has for us. We have to have the character of Christ in us. We will never live for Jesus if deep down we're living for ourselves. So where's your character right now? Whose reputation are you more concerned with? When people see you, do they see the character of Jesus? When people hear you talk, do they hear the words of Jesus? When, when God, who sees all and nothing is hidden from his sight, when he looks at you, does he see the character and integrity of Jesus? He's going to actively oppose the proud and actively give grace and lift up the humble. We're never going to live life in Christ if we're being prideful and living life for ourselves. Stephen had a high character. I mean, he was picked. And so then what happens? Verse 8 says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So apparently his, his character, the fact that he's following Jesus, is having effects in the community. And, and what happens is that there's a crew, a crowd of people from the synagogue of the freedmen that don't like it. It's not so much they don't like Stephen, they don't like Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, if people persecuted me, then they're going to persecute you. Jesus said, if people hated me, they're, they're going to hate you. And so if, if Stephen's looking a lot like Jesus, they're not going to like Stephen because he's re- representing Jesus. And so this crowd is like, how do we shut Stephen up? And so they start, they're like, well, the problem is he's got such high character, we've got nothing to bring against him. He's got such high character, they've got nothing to accuse him with. Come on, y'all, that's the kind of character we want, right? Where it's like, well, what do you got against him? Nothing. I don't know. What do you got? Not, I, I don't know. Come on. That's the character of Jesus. That's the character that we want in our lives. There was nothing they had. And so they start gathering these slanderous lies. Hey, psst, 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 Stephen. Man, Stephen was talking bad about Moses. I heard him the other day in Bible study. He was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Stephen was just putting down Moses. Hey, psst, psst. Stephen, he's not saying there's only one God. He's like saying there's multiple gods. Can you believe that? It'd be like if I started, you know, I, took, I went out to coffee or something. I was like, oh, I'm worried about Mike. Man, he started talking about how there may be multiple ways other than Jesus. Let's just pray for him. And you just start putting those lies in there, just those subtle, slanderous lies. I mean, it wouldn't be long until we're like, hey, buddy, you got to go. 
So that's what they're doing. They don't have anything against him. So they just start spreading these lies. Man, Stephen's talking bad about God, about Moses. And so the authorities, they, they bring him in in 7 verse 1, and they're like, hey, Stephen, are these things so? Like, is this true? Are you, are you blaspheming God? Are you speaking poorly of Moses? We're not going to read all of chapter 7, but that's Stephen's sermon, the longest recording sermon in the book of Acts. Stephen's response to these accusations, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't start promoting himself like, hey, look at my character. Come on, you know I wouldn't do that. Hey, come on, you know, you know me. All he does is go to the word and preach the word. His message is straight from the Bible. All of chapter 7, he starts with Abraham, and he works his way all the way through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon, all the way to present day with Jesus. His response is simply, hey, let's go to Genesis, shall we? Let's just work through the Bible a little bit, okay? Let's talk about that. His message is primary two points. He's speaking to these crowd that's accusing me. He says two things. One, from the very beginning, God of the Bible has pursued you and moved near to you. He sent people like Abraham to tell you the truth. He sent people like Moses to tell you the truth. God is continually moving near to you. And the second point is you resisted them and you resisted Jesus. Why? That's the point of his sermon is that God in love is moving near to you. And you continue to resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what he says in verse, chapter 7, verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked people. You prideful, stubborn, arrogant people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, turn, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law is delivered by angels and did not keep it. His point is this to the people who are accusing him. Hey, God has moved near, and you continue to resist him to the point where you killed his one and only son. Look, here, here's, here's what we can take away from this. If we're going to live life in Jesus, if we're going to respond to people, it's got to be with his words. Our words will fall short. His words won't. Our words lack power. His words are full of power. Our words don't bring life. His words bring life. And Stephen knew his Bible. Here's what I love about Stephen. He wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the big wigs. He wasn't one of the 12. We don't hear about him until chapter 6. He's just some normal dude loving Jesus, knowing his Bible. Right? And then when the time comes, he's like, oh, hey, let's talk about Moses a little bit. Want to? Huh? How about Jacob? Yeah? Let's talk about how God moved near and they resisted. Let's talk about how God sent Jesus and you killed him. Let's just talk about what God says in here, shall we? So he's not defending himself with his own words. He's just bringing up the word of God. If we're going to live life in Jesus, we have to know his words. Have to. 
This is how God primarily communicates to us. It's not just a book, a roadmap to life, an instruction manual, which way should I go? This is how we know the living God. Look, if I write Vince a letter and I stick it in the mailbox and he gets it, I'm like, hey, Vince, man, how's it going? This is what's been happening in my life. Hey, you know, yada, yada. Then Vince knows about me. He knows what's happening in my life. He knows what I've been doing, et cetera, right? And then he can write me back. He can talk to me a little bit. We can, we can communicate through written form, right? God has communicated to us through his word. These are his words given to us that we can know him and be in a relationship with him and know how to follow him. If we're going to live life for Jesus, we have to know his words. One of the most practical things, if you're like, man, I've kind of stalled out. I don't know, my faith has been going okay, but it's just kind of, you know, plateaued a little bit. Take out an hour of Netflix and put in an hour of the Bible a week. Just, just a week. Break it up time-wise if you want to. We just have to input more and more and more and more of his words. Just plain and simple. We need more of his truth in our lives. One of the things I, I want to try and incorporate in my life is the, the word first and last. That the first thing I do when I wake up is I read the Bible, and the last thing I do before I go to sleep is I read the Bible. Even if it's just a chapter or a paragraph, just that mentally, the first thing in my head is truth, and the last thing in my head is truth. Like, what would our days look like if we bookend every day with that? Stephen knew his Bible. We've got to know the word of God. We've got to know it. So Stephen preaches this, and, and he says, like, hey, you messed up. And then in verse 54, it says, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Like, they were so mad at what he's saying that their teeth were just, ah, you know? Like, they're furious that he would turn and be like, you kill. Like, they, they were furious with him. They're just living out what Jesus said would happen. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, this is the judgment. This is it. Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Man, just, just read that again and sit on it. Furious because they love the darkness more than the light. They don't want the light exposing their sin. They're furious with him. So things are getting real intense, man. They're getting angry, right? There's a crowd gathered around, a crowd that already killed Jesus. They're getting mad. And what is Stephen focused on? Like what is his, what is his, what are her eyes fixed on? Verse 56, he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Man, he is, it's getting intense and he is getting, I mean, the, the fire is, is turning up and Stephen's eyes are fixed on things above. Like he is locked in. He's not looking around at the things here. He's not looking around at the angel or the army encamped around him. He's looking above them, eyes fixed on things above, eyes fixed on the glory of God. Colossians 3 says we've got to set our minds on things above. Not on things of this earth that will fade away and be destroyed, but we've got to fix our minds on things above. What you and I focus on day in and day out is what our reality will be. 
What we think on most is what will come out of our lives. What we're fixed on, what we, we're focused on, that is what is going to happen, right? So there's studies that show if I, if I input TV shows with violence over and over and over, I become immune to violence. Like I just become desensitized to it. If I'm listening to songs that have vulgar language over and over and over, I guarantee you, I can almost promise you what words are going to be coming out of our mouth. If I watch content that is illicit in nature, I can promise you what images are in your head. Because what we fix our eyes on, what we look at, what we focus on is what comes out of our life. Man, if I'm consumed with money, then that's what my life is going to demonstrate, that I'm consumed with money. If I'm fixed on this ladder that I've got to climb, then I promise you what your life is going to demonstrate is work. What we are focused on, what our eyes are fixed on is what our life follows. So if my eyes are first and foremost fixed on myself, then I will do whatever I have to do to protect myself and make sure that I am taken care of. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus if we're going to live life in him. We've got to focus on him. Here's the thing. We have that power to do so. That's our choice. I can choose what I look at, what I think about, what I focus on. It's just a matter of if I really want to or not. But it's there. We can do it. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. And then his response, right? So he says he sees the Son of Man standing next to God in a place of, of glory. That's, that's, not, that's not where they think Jesus was. That's what they're so angry about. They, that, that's saying that Jesus is God, and they don't believe Jesus is God. And so they get angry with him. It says they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Can you imagine that? Just a bunch of people holding their ears and running at someone. Right? Like that's what's happening. They're just, they are outside of their own mind. They've lost it. They're just, they've lost it. They cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. They're picking up rocks and hurling them at Stephen. It says that they, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And check out Stephen's response. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's response to the ones who are throwing rocks at his face is love. He's actively praying for their good as they are actively murdering him. He's actively loving his enemies who are actively crushing his body with stones. He responds with love, praying for their forgiveness. Because love is not self-seeking. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love always looks for the best interest of another, even when that other is your enemy. He responds with love. Man, when you see the life of Stephen, you, you see Jesus. Genesis 1 says we're created in his image. Our purpose, the reason that you and I exist today is to reflect the image of our maker. 
that the Imago Dei, the image of God, would be seen in every one of us. Romans 8, 29 says that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. If you're like, man, what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? It's to look like Jesus. It's to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. It's to be the words of Jesus to your roommates. It's to be like Jesus. That's why we exist. And when you look at Stephen, we see that his character was above repute, above reproach. They had to create false testimony. In Luke 23, Pilate, when Jesus is being accused, Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. So they, they bring false testimony against him. Stephen's posture was that of a servant of humility. He was willing to serve those who couldn't serve him. In Luke 22 and 27, after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. I'm going to serve you even though you can't serve me back. Stephen responded with the Bible when attacked. In Luke chapter 4, when the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus' response every time, it is written. He responded with the word of God. Stephen's focus was not on himself, it was above, it was on the glory of God. In Luke 22, when praying that God would give him another way than the cross, Jesus said, nevertheless, your will, not my will. And when hanging on the tree that men nailed him to, Jesus looked out at the ones that nailed him there and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Now look at the life of Stephen, I'm like, dude, dude reflected Jesus really, really well. This is the life we're called to live. When I read this, and I'll start to wrap up here. When I read this, I ask two questions. The first one I ask is, how in the world did he actually do this? Right, like he was falsely accused, and he didn't defend himself. He was carried out and stoned by the people he loved. How? Like, I don't, I struggle to love people who say something mean about me. Like, how, how did he actually live like Jesus? His character was above reproach. Like, like, how did he do this? As I was reading this week, I just, there was this word that kept sticking out to me. Chapter 6, verse 3. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Verse 5. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Stephen, full of grace, full of power, doing great wonders and signs among them. Chapter 7, verse 55, when they're attacking him, but he full of the Holy Spirit. You see the word full, 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 full. Stephen was able to pour his life out for Jesus because he was full of the Holy Spirit and he actually had something to give. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about the Holy Spirit and how when we trust Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit's presence. But then we can remove ourselves from his presence by, by sinning, by not repenting. And when we step out of his 
active presence. It's not that, that we lose the Spirit, it's just that we lose His power of filling us. And so we've got to repent of our sin and return back to the, the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be filled again. But then when we're filled with the Spirit, eventually it overflows and it impacts those around us. Stephen was full of the Spirit. He had everything he needed in Christ alone. He lacked nothing. Even when his life was taken, he was full. He had everything that he needed in Jesus. Psalm 34, David says this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack the young lions, they suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Man, how did Stephen live this out even to the point of death? Is because he was so filled by the Spirit of God in him that he was able to pour his life out because he was continually filled. He never lacked anything. He found this satisfaction and joy that was in Christ that so satisfied him even in death. That life meant nothing compared to knowing Jesus. He actually understood that. I believe, and, and I feel like God's been challenging me in this, I believe, and it has to be true, that if God is infinite, there is so much more of him for us to know. For all of eternity, we will never hit the ceiling. And yet we settle for so much less. I believe there's a joy and satisfaction that we can have in Christ that so fills us that regardless of what is happening around us, if there are men throwing rocks at our faces, yeah, that may hurt, but we can be satisfied in Christ and be joyful at the point of death. I believe there is a joy and a satisfaction in Christ that no matter what someone does to us or no matter what the circumstances of life around us are, that we can find a joy and a satisfaction in him when we are filled by his presence. That was the key to Stephen's life. We have to seek the Lord and surrender in obedience to him. Seek his face. We are not going to know him if we don't look. We are not going to know him if we don't seek him. We've got to seek him and then surrender our lives to what he says. And the Holy Spirit will fill us to a place where I literally believe we cannot fathom. I believe it's there for us. We've got to seek him and surrender. The second question I ask when I read this what the heck? God, what the heck? Like this guy was varsity level, right? Like 
I mean, he's full of, of, of grace and power and doing amazing wonders and signs. God, you have angels surrounding a Syrian army to protect two people. You split the, uh, the, the, the sea in, in t- so they could walk on dry land. You spun the universe into existence and you apparently just maintain it by your power, right? Like you, you measure the waters of the earth in the palm of your hands. You've named every star and none of them moves without you telling it to move. You give sight to the blind, you give healing to the lame, you raise the dead, why couldn't you save this man? He was obeying your words and he walked into a rock in his face. What the heck? Anyone else ever have those questions? Will you read this and you go, what are you doing? I prayed, and he died. I obeyed, and my life got jacked up. You said, get on a boat and go across the sea, and I get on a boat, and a storm comes. Thanks, Jesus. What the heck? So I read that, and I'm like, God, where were you? Anyone else ever ever have questions like that? Let me just go ahead and say, if, if you do, it's okay. It's safe. God's a big God. He can handle our questions. Job had a few questions. God put him in place, and Job was in a better place afterwards. It's okay. Ask your questions. God will take care of it. If you're like, I don't have questions like that, let's just be honest. You do. It's cool. It's fine. We'll get to those later. You know? We do. We just have questions like that. Like, what, what the heck, God? There's two things we have to keep and in, in remember. We've got to remember. One, he's God. We're not. He's the creator, we're the created. At no point does the chair speak back to the manufacturer and be like, hey, I don't really want this seat cushion cover. Let's change things up. You know what, I know you made me to be a chair, but I think that I'm going to be a dolly. Right, the created doesn't speak to the creator and say, hey, creator, I'm gonna, I got this. He's God. We're not. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. We will never grasp fully his thoughts. If we did, he's a pretty small God. Okay? He's God. We're not. He sees things that we don't see. He knows the whole picture that we'll never understand. Maybe even in heaven. Because he's God and we're not. The second thing we have to remember is he is always good. He's God. We're not. And he is always good. Nothing happens outside of his view. Nothing catches him by surprise. God didn't look down and go, oh my gosh. Matter of fact, Stephen looks up before the rocks start flying and he sees God. He's looking at the face of God. God was there. God saw. God knew. God could have stepped in and stopped that at any moment. God is above us. God is good. So what the heck is happening? And this is where we have to trust that there's a plan that God is working out even through the suffering. That what the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. What Satan thinks, I I, I won here, God is going to flip upside down and leverage and redeem in such a way that he gets more glory than could have ever happened outside of that suffering. We just got to look at Jesus, right? You're like the cross, man, that doesn't make sense. Our Messiah is dead now, great, now what? Except on the cross, he took on the full sins of the world, and he went in the grave, and he buried our sins in the grave, and then he rose from the dead. No one saw that coming except God. 
He rose from the dead so that he could give us eternal life. God, what are you doing here with Stephen? Look at chapter 7, verse 58, and we'll, we'll end here, I promise. They cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. To throw those stones, they got to they gotta take off their outer cloak. It would hinder their, their throwing ability. So they take off their outer cloak, and they lay them at the feet of a young man named Saul who approved of the execution. Saul stood there and saw as much as any human can reflect the character of Jesus. He saw Stephen love like Jesus. He saw Stephen lay down his life like Jesus. He saw Stephen pour out his life like Jesus did. And in two chapters, Jesus would come and meet this man Saul on the way to Damascus and totally change his life. And Saul would become Paul. And Paul would write two-thirds of the New Testament. And Paul in First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 4 would say that he has poured out his life for the gospel. Why? Because he saw another man pour out his life for the sake of the gospel and it totally transformed his life. And so now Paul, seeing that there is an inheritance in heaven worth giving up your life for, is willing to pour out his life for the sake of the gospel and you and I read the words of Paul and our hearts are changed because Paul gave his life for the sake of gospel because he saw Stephen give his life for the sake of the gospel and so there's a greater good through the suffering of Stephen that Stephen didn't see but we're the recipients of. God is doing something good even when we can't see it. When your heart hurts and you're saying this doesn't make sense Surrender your life to God and trust that he will work good through it. Yes, you're going to go through fire, and yes, you're going to go through water, and you're going to be trying to keep your head above, and God says, hey, don't worry, I'm walking with you through the fire. I'm carrying you through the water, and he will bring you through the other side. Just don't quit. Keep your eyes on him and trust he is above you, and he is good, and you can trust that he will take you through. But we got to live our lives for Jesus to see that happen. we got to surrender our lives to the one who first gave his life for us. Y'all, he's worth it. Gosh, he's worth it, he's worth it, he's worth it. Far more than we can even imagine. I pray that we will be people like Stephen. Just your average, average person who loves Jesus and wants to follow him in obedience. And who knows who's watching us that God will change his or her life and what could come from that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for faithful men and women who have gone before us. God, because faith is hard. You're asking us, Father, to take steps into areas that we can't see the ground. You want us to walk and we just can't see that far ahead. And you want us to trust you in that. And that's hard, God. Increase our faith, God. Help us believe where we lack. 
God, open our eyes to see you. That's, that's what happened with Stephen. He saw you. And that was all he needed. Persecution comes and, and he was so filled by your presence that he lacked nothing. He gave all and lacked nothing. That is your promise, God, that you will fill us, that you will give grace to the humble, that you will be all that we need. God, give us the strength to trust your word. Here and now, God, give us the strength to trust your word. We invite you just to stay where you are and just take a second and listen for God's voice. Psalm 46 invites us to be still and know that he is God. hear this voice in your head, in your soul? And does that voice match up with what the Bible teaches? Do you hear him saying you can trust him, that he's good? Do you hear him inviting you to surrender all, to live life fully for him? something new inside of you. That, that maybe you're hearing him for the first time. And it's real. And you know it. Maybe he's telling you the, the things or the people that you've been lifting up higher than him and he's, he's inviting you to trust that he's better can actually love people better by loving him first. Do you hear him telling you what you've been trying to satisfy your heart with that you know isn't worth it? Faith isn't having all the answers. It's just trusting him in the moment to take one step at a time. And that he's got step number two worked out for you. God, I'm so grateful that you have demonstrated your love first to us through Christ. We have the evidence of your love. We know that it's true. Jesus, because you rose from the dead, we know that it's real. Holy Spirit, move and fill us with your presence and your power. Move beyond our doubts, 
in our fears and in our insecurities and in our hurts. Let us taste and see that you are better. And that when we trust you, you'll actually heal and restore and work through everything that's hurting and lacking right now. I pray and ask for your favor and your blessing. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.